we are back. Uh, we're digging back into another sermon series, and uh, we're going to talk about something maybe that isn't so uh, jovial and fun today. We're uh, talking about a sermon series on abuse. So, Amber, you might remember a couple years ago, our church did a three-week series on abuse. Um, as challenging as it was, it was so important. And I'm literally, I took the book that came out of this sermon series and gave it to someone just last Sunday. And so the reason we're running this program again, the reason we're talking about this again, is because this is a real issue that affects a lot of people, not just out there in the world, but in the church. So mm -hmm. you and I might have to push pause on our uh, normal witty banter um, and kind of dive into something that a lot of people who are listening need to hear about. So yeah, let's talk one more yeah. time about abuse. I actually love Time of Grace for doing this series, and I actually hate that we have to. I hate everything about this subject. I, but I love that time of grace is actually pulling it out of the dark mm. and that we're revisiting it again. Cause I too think it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. I meant all that. Um, so you mentioned in your first sermon, you said, you know, you've never preached a sermon on abuse. Mm. You've never heard a sermon on abuse. Mm. We know abuse is happening in our churches. So why are we not talking about it? Mm, yeah. Oh man. <clears throat> so just a couple of days ago, I, you know, was face to face with a woman who is escaping abuse, um, just a long abusive marriage, and her story was this fresh reminder of just how incredibly complex and secretive and difficult and damaging and you know your premise that we all know about it. I, I'm not sure if that's true. I, I think abuse is one of those sins that is so monstrous and yet it's so well hidden by abusers. Um, they're smart and sinful enough to know what to do and what to say to not be easily caught. Can you elaborate on that? I couldn't agree more. Yeah. But what it what is that? What are you saying? Yeah. What what are the abusers doing that people can't talk about these things openly? What does that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, physically, if everyone who's being abused walked in with a big black eye, our our radar would go up and like, whoa, what happened? But if someone would know how to put their hands on another human being in not such an evident and obvious way, or if there's a guy who doesn't talk that way to his children on Sunday morning, he seems like a fairly good dad. And yet behind closed doors, he's saying things that are incredibly destructive and damaging. So I, I think abuse is one of those sins that is is well hidden and intentionally so. Um, and then you, you add on top of that, I mean, I've experienced this even having talked about it, the incredible complexity of what to say and how to say it and how to help. I remember preaching and one woman said, she told me exactly how many screws were in the back of the church chair in front of her. Oh man. You know, because what I was saying was so it felt so fresh to her even though it was so many years ago that her her brain was panicking. And then another person recently said, you know, Pastor Mike, when you came after abusers and told them about the justice of God and their need to repent, do you know that when you said that people probably got abused more that day than other days? Because the abusers felt cornered, they felt angry and frustrated, and they couldn't say that in church. But when they got home, I bet you they they said or did something to their victim. 
you know, so I, even I think about it, like I want to talk about it and bring it into the light, but I want to help people. And it's such a complex thing. I think a lot of us in the church, whether you're a pastor or a, a person in the chair, you know, we, we don't know where to start. We don't know what to say and we want to help, but we don't exactly know how. And I also think that so many, my experience is that so many people who have been abused are so broken that they don't think they're worthy of help anymore. They mm. have been told so many times, nobody likes you. Yeah. You have no help. I am your only source of money. Uh, you, if you don't have me, you have nobody. Mm. Where are you going to go? Nobody cares. Mm -hmm. If you have all these friends, where are all these friends? And all these other lies yeah. that they have been fed for so long, they've been backed in a corner and like a scared animal, they are so afraid to open their mouth because they're afraid, A, that people won't believe them, mm -hmm. B, that no one can help them, and C, like you said, it will just make it worse. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. It's You come at it with fear and trembling, right? Um, you want to do good, and you just, mm -hmm. you, you can't talk about abuse without a desperate cry of, God, please, like, yep. I'm going to try my best. My steps might not be perfect, yep. but I want to bring this into light and help people who are hurting just like you do. So give me your wisdom. Give me your spirit. Yep. Please bless our efforts. Absolutely. Okay. So define abuse. There's so many different kinds of abuse, but define what it is. Yeah. Um, I think the official definition that I found, forgive me for not knowing the source of the you know, government agency, was, quote, a pattern of fear or force to maintain power and control. And that was really helpful to me. That's kind of a three-part breakdown. It's a pattern. So if my wife and I get into an argument and she yells or I yell or there's a name that's called. Yeah. But it's not a pattern. It was just this one-time ugly, sinful thing that happened. That's not abuse. But if it's, you know, repeated behavior, a pattern of using fear or force. So it could be physical force. I intimidate you with my presence. I punch a wall. I kick a pet. I raise my fist. I throw a glass against the wall, um, or fear, um, yeah. you know, you put your finger on it before you have to be afraid to leave me. Cause I've just yes. taken away your self-worth so much. You couldn't survive without me. No one loves you. What would you do? I'd call the cops and tell them I'd say all these things you did to the kids and you'd never see your children again. So I use some lie to make you so afraid because in the end, and to me, this is the heart of abuse is to maintain power and control. Yep. Um, I want what I want. It might be sex. It might be money. It might be to sit here while you do all the work. It might be all the kids will be quiet as I'm going to terrify them in my wrath. Mm -hmm. Like I want what I want. And in my sinfulness, no matter how much it hurts the people around me, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll make them afraid. I'll raise my fist to maintain power and control. Mm -hmm. So put that all together, a pattern of fear or force that's used to maintain power and control. I think that's abuse. Yeah. And I think something that you said that people might not, I think the abused are the last to sometimes realize they're abused um, because in their mind, this is normal because they've lived with it yeah. for so long, unfortunately, yes. but the threats, you know, I've been working with two women and if the threats make you cower, if the threats make you leave your home, if the threats make a child come between you and your husband so that something doesn't happen, that's abuse. Mm -hmm. Like whether or not a punch has been thrown, yeah. if the words 
if the words threaten you so much mm -hmm. that you shake in fear and, and that pattern, yeah. you know, of continually keeping you in that fear, that is not God's, God's idea of marriage at yeah. all. Like that is, that's not normal. Yeah. Yeah. Just this last week I was talking to someone and it, it struck me just the need to help people in that situation. Mm -hmm. um, here's a person who has been so connected to the Bible, church, <laughs> Bible studies for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And yet told me the light just went on that God's love was for her too. Oh my goodness. Right. And I hear it like, wait, you, I mean, you've spent your whole life hearing the gospel, <sighs> but it almost became impossible to believe the gospel for her personally, because like you said, someone had convinced her like no one would love you. Um, God couldn't love you. Maybe this is the reason this is happening to you because God's mad at you and he's punishing you. Right. So just that really basic message, Jesus loves me, this I know, um, can be really hard if you've been told just the opposite by someone for weeks yeah. or months or years or decades. So, yep, yeah. it's messy. But uh, that story reminded me, hey, I'm so glad Time of Grace is here because yes. we, we just want to say, even if he said this, even if she kept repeating this, let me tell you what God, who always knows the right answer, here's what he says about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the first sermon was to the abused. The sermon series is called, by the way, what does God say to the abused? And you talk, the first sermon is to the abused. Mm -hmm. And in it, you say, we want to help the broken find healing in Jesus. Mm. And I know that when you are so utterly broken, that can feel super trite and cheap. Mm. Like that seems like a little bandaid on a fire hose, Pastor Mike, like you're going to help me find healing. Mm. But you didn't mean it that way. And you, you really do mean there's hope and there's healing in Jesus. So can you break that down a little bit for us? What does that look like that we can find hope and healing in Jesus? Yeah. yeah it doesn't mean to exclude taking steps to keep you safe. Yes. Right. So I'm not saying, hey, let's give you a spiritual answer when we really need to pack our bags or call the police or report this person to CP Child Protective Services. So mm -hmm. the answers I'm about to say are not at the exclusion of justice and safety. Um, but I do think, I mean, think of the think of what the gospel tells us. The gospel says right now, no matter what people think about you or say to you or say about you, that God smiles when he thinks of you. Mm -hmm. You know, his face is shining upon you. Um, he's turning and looking at you with favor, not at anger, not with judgment, but because of the blood of Christ, I mean, he treasures you. Um, wow. <laughs> if I've been starved for affection because I'm, you know, around an abusive parent or an abusive partner, how beautiful is that? That God, God you know, the highest authority speaks so highly of me. And then the hope of the gospel that when Jesus Christ, you know, hopefully I can get safe sooner or later. But when Jesus Christ comes back, this abuse is very temporary. It will end. God will come with power and justice over every person who's oppressed me. And yeah. he will rescue me, not just from spiritual sin, but from physical danger. So I won't have to be afraid. So I won't be triggered. Jesus is going to come and give me a whole new body where my mind isn't, you know, held captive by PTSD. Why little things don't make me jump and make me short of breath. Like mm -hmm. forgiveness and identity now, justice on the day of judgment, a renewed mind and body. 
So when I say something like Jesus can bring healing, that's what I mean. Uh, he heals body, yeah. soul, and spirit now and in the days to come. And can we say what I've said before too? Um, you mentioned in your sermon that you had some a wife and her kids come in and mm -hmm. talk about the abuse, and then the abuser, who was also part of your congregation, mm -hmm. came in to your office. If the man or the woman who is abusing calls themselves a Christian or is a Christian, loves Jesus, it isn't God who is abusing you. Mm -hmm. It's sin. So sometimes we confuse those when we've been really hurt and mm. the person that we're with is a Christian, maybe in good standing in the church. Mm. Um, so we see this Bible thumping person who's abusing us as the wrath of God coming against us. Mm. But that is so confused and messed up because God doesn't endorse that and God is not the one it's not jesus hurting you it's not god hurting you yeah yeah a person in that situation uh, grab your bible and turn to matthew 23 here jesus is speaking to men who were within the church and he came you know with the full fire of judgment upon them and it was jesus way of saying just because it happens in the church just because the person who said that was wearing a, a fancy robe just because that person prayed before or after they said or did what they did does not mean that Jesus is okay with it or endorses it. In fact, yes. <laughs> some of the people that Jesus brought the thunder upon were people just like that. Um, they put heavy loads on people's shoulders with their teaching and their words and their actions. They're spiritually abusive, right? They yeah. use the pattern of fear. You're never going to be righteous enough to maintain power and control. Um, and so, yes, God is a God of love. He's a God who keeps his kids safe. He's not a God of violence or vengeance or wrath or holding people under your thumb. So if ever that comes up, that's that's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. That's not someone who's been sent by God himself. Yeah. I think that's so important to point out. Hmm. Okay. Sermon number two, you talk to the people who abuse. You talk to the abusers. And the sermon had four parts. You talk to you, him, them, and me. So the first part of it is you said to the abusers, you, and you asked them to look at themselves and their patterns of behavior, the anger, the manipulations, the threats, mm. the violence. It seems to me with my very, very limited experience in this, that it's really hard for abusers to see that they're the problem. Mm. Cause in my, mm. like I said, very limited, but what I hear over and over and over is the same thing that you brought up in the sermon. Well, if the kids weren't crazy, if she didn't do this, if she kept the house better, or if she was more like this, I wouldn't blow up. Or hmm. how do we get people to understand? You said it in your sermon. All hmm. kids are crazy. I mean, hmm. there is no perfect spouse. Yeah. So it's not them. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. How do we get people to understand that? And, yeah. and is there somebody who is more like, I'm not sure I'm the one to point this out to somebody. You know what I mean? Who mm. should be the one telling a man, for instance, mm. I might be helping the woman, but mm. who is the one who should be talking to the abuser? Yeah. 
That's a lot of questions you just asked that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I think it's super important. Yeah, they are all important. Um, I think your original comment is sad but true. I sorry. Oh, that's okay. I think if a person uh, has been driven by control, then having to look at themselves in the mirror and give up that control is a huge personal loss to their sinful nature. So I'm, I'm saddened. I'm not shocked that very often abusers aren't the first one to confess their sins and produce the fruit of repentance. Um, I think it might be help, helpful to say, hey, from a biblical perspective, it doesn't matter if someone started it. What God wants you to do is clear. There's no Bible passage that says, you know, get rid of anger, asterisk, footnote, unless the kids are being really crazy. Yeah. Right? So the, the Bible doesn't give anyone a pass to say, well, you can be abusive if, you can terrify people if, make you feel free to raise your fist if A, B, or C. Mm -hmm. Like, that's never a moral option from those who are following in the footsteps of Jesus. So I think to make it that black and white, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. He said, don't be easily angered. Don't return insult for insult. So even if you're right, sir, that they started it, it, it never, ever, 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 ever justifies the sinful reaction that you have. So let's just lay that out there, there to get rid of the excuses. So sin is sin. Even if, you know, what do we, my wife's a preschool teacher. When two little kids come to her, like happens 18 times a day, he started it. I mean, my wife never says, oh, well, in that case, thanks for yeah. punching him. Yeah. No, that's not how we treat people. Yeah. And sometimes grownups need the preschool chat. No, I don't care. Yeah, you, you don't get to do that. That's not the rule of God's world. And you need to repent and change your attitude. And if something deep within you says it's okay if, we got we to gotta reach down deep and rip that out of you because it's so destructive and damaging. I mean, all of us could excuse our sin if, if that was the way we were supposed to do this, right, in our Christian walk. I mean, all of us could just justify away everything we do. And I've said for years, I wish there were disclaimers on most of what you know, the Bible says to do. Mm. Do nothing without grumbling unless it really is not fair. Mm. Then in that case, you should grumble. You yeah. know, I could live with that. Yeah. Or, you know, so many of the things, wives submit to your husbands when it's nice, when it's easy, when he's walking with the Lord the way he should, you know, mm. yep. a million disclaimers that we all would like, but... You know, like Peter says, I think it was Peter. I always get this wrong. <laughs> you know, that it's easy or if you suffer for doing good, then you are commended. But if you suffer for doing bad, then you, there's no yeah. reward in that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. who should confront the abuser? That was the other part that I wanted to, to ask you. Mm. Everyone. <laughs> Do you think? I don't know. I... Like I, I'm pretty fresh with this. So I, like I said, I'm walking with two women right now and I was fueled by your sermon. <laughs> and when, when someone came about, you know, telling me how his wife was so horrible and why he, he had to do. And I was like, you are abusing. This is abuse. This is, and I'm telling you, we no longer are abusing the wife. We are abusing me. <laughs> like in multiple ways. And then I start thinking, 
should I be the one to do this or should there be a man stepping up? Should there be like a different godly leader who is stepping in going, dude, Hmm. this is not okay. Hmm. Sure. I, I, ideally, I, I think we'd all love it if the perfect person could confront, you know, let's match everyone up with the person they're more likely to receive feedback from. There's wisdom in that. Um, there's a proverb that says, it, if you confront and rebuke a mocker, it's coming back at you. Yeah. So maybe you met a mocker yeah. who, who is so foolish and ignorant that they'd rather double down on their sin then come to repentance. Um, I think we have to be careful that we equate like, uh, it's only a success if the person changes their mind. Sometimes that confrontation is success. Sometimes saying around here, if I see it, I'm not putting up with it. Yeah. Like there are people who are gonna, and even the, sometimes there's third parties in the room who, you know, the mocker will double down on their sin, but other people know, oh, okay. This is a place where we don't just like roll our eyes and bite our lips. Right. We speak up to keep the innocent safe. So speak up for those who can't defend themselves. So ideally, yes, find that person who's best equipped to say, hey, man, we've been friends for a long time. I got to tell you. But I, I don't know that every abuse victim can wait for that to happen. No, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely dead right. And I have thought several times in the last couple of days, you know what? I am just getting a little bit of what these people have lived with for God knows how many years. Like if the abuse has shifted a little bit, they're free for a couple of days, you know, Hmm. like whatever. Yeah. No, I think you're right. That's where we started. It's, uh, we all want there to be some perfect solution. There isn't. Right. And I don't think we want to be wise with your confrontation, but we can't, base the success of a confrontation on the person themselves. It's often not about them. They're often hard hearted and unwilling mm-hmm. for a friend to know while well, Amber had enough courage to say something. She loves me. She's not going to sit here while I get hurt. Um, I, I think that's the win. Yeah. yeah. Good, good, good encouragement there. Okay. So the hymn part of the sermon is just pointing people to Jesus because Jesus had Simon the Zealot and the apostle Paul who he called. Do you want to tell why that's important? Yeah. Yeah. The zealots in the first century were zealous for their faith to the point of violence. Um, the apostle Paul in first Timothy one, I believe called himself a violent man and a persecutor. And so if our theology says, well, we're going to be the church that welcomes abuse victims, but you don't stand a chance around here. If you have a history of abuse, we would actually be doing something that Jesus himself didn't do. Yeah. So, hey, welcome to complexity. Uh, if God loves the world, if Jesus died for the sins of the world, then it's not just jealous people or people who worry too much or who lust. It's people who have a pattern of using fear or force to maintain power and control. So, yeah, that's where I'm telling abusers, hey, look to Jesus. There's still hope for you. Yeah. Okay. And then the next part of the sermon is look to them. And by them, you pointed out, there are all kinds of people here who can help you. Hmm. This is not a, a sin that you can't repent of, you can't turn from, you can't you know, get out of the grips of. You said there are all kinds of people. Hmm. There are you know, counselors, there are pastors, 
Mm-hmm. There are books that you can read. There, there, there are things you can do mm-hmm. to no longer be the abuser. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. why is it so important that they get help instead of just promising for the millionth time that they won't ever do it again? Yeah. I would say for the same reason, someone who's been drinking too much or has an internet addiction or who worries everything, every time something unexpected happens, it is rare in any area of our Christian life that we make big changes by ourselves. Um, And my own story is evidence of that. I can promise God again and again, but we really need accountability, encouragement, wisdom, prayers, for many abusers, I mean, this is a this is a generational sin. Yes. Right. I I talk that way because that's what I heard for 18 years in my home growing up. That doesn't feel like grievously evil to me. That just feels like what you do when tensions are high. Um, so sometimes just basic discipleship and mentoring. We need other healthier men and women to say, okay, okay, that's that's not how we handle this situation. Mm-hmm. I know that feels very normal to you, but that's not what God wants. Here's how we can handle that better. So, wow. Um, how about a a discipleship ministry in the church for former abusers who need to learn to be patient, kind, gentle? Um, yeah, we need each other to make some big changes here. Yeah, boy, that makes me start thinking. I just think, too, male discipleship is so important. You have such a beautiful mom's ministry in your church mm-hmm. where and moms seem to crave they seem to know that they need help because we don't know how to do this mom thing on our own mm. but who's taking the dads mm. you know who's walking the dads through and saying no when the kid spills milk during supper that's mm. that's just you go grab a rag and you clean it up and you're like man i do this all the time i screw up it's not a big deal mm. who's taking the dads and saying you know some kids will get A's and some kids will get C's. And that's because that kid with the C's can't, isn't capable of getting A's and mm-hmm. it's okay. Just love them for who they are. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it's maybe a, something to think about with the church. Yeah. 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 I'm, for I'm men. Yeah. Men's ministries are vital and difficult. Um, yeah. We tend to be shoulder to shoulder guys who don't want to, we don't want to, go face to face over coffee and say, tell me about the generational patterns of anger in your family tree. (laughs) I know. Welcome abusers to your church, but with wisdom. It wasn't a wide open door. Come when you want, do what you want. What did you mean by that? Hmm. Yeah, I meant to paint the picture of a really kind of narrow middle, not we're going to lock the doors when you come, but not we're going to fully trust you when you come. Um, if I know like you're a registered sex offender, um, you can bet we're running a background check. You can bet you're not going to be working with children. You can bet we're probably going to find a chaperone for you to make sure this is safe for everyone who's here. Um, if you've financially controlled people, you're not going to be counting the money with the church ushers anytime soon. And why I think that's so powerful is because if a person is repentant, if they've abused in the past, but they really hate their pattern of behavior, they'll accept the consequences of their actions. But if they're really trying to sneak in and make the church this hiding place where, oh, these people will love and accept me and I don't have to change. Nope. Nope. As a spiritual leader, I want to make sure that, you know, from the microphone and the stage 
around here, we're going to do whatever we can to eradicate abuse and keep people safe. And I think those strong, and that's hard. I've been face to face with that. You have to be blunt with people and it can feel ungentle or unkind, but you have to think about all the people, all the other people in the church that you're keeping safe and you're assuring them we don't take violence or controlling behavior lightly. Um, yeah. Did it, did we mention at all in our conversation, Amber, that this is complicated? Yeah. And I'm just thinking about when, when everybody involved in the situation goes to the same church, what that might mean, like you're welcome at church at this service. So your family can go to this service and not have to see you mm -hmm. or, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that means, but it is complicated. Yeah, yeah it really is. Um, maybe just a small step. I mean, people can get overwhelmed just by verbalizing this and bringing it into the light, whether it's a, a pastor, a Bible study leader, talking about the sharing these time of grace videos, having a few copies of the books that we share on this topic, just to say, hey, around here, we're going to do what we just like we value sexual ethics and morality and generosity and forgiveness. Yeah. We also value safety and justice. Um, our job as Christians is to protect the innocent. And we just want all of you to know we're going to do everything we can to make this church a real sanctuary for hurting people. I love that. All right. So sermon three, what does God say to the church? You opened with Isaiah telling us to defend the, uh, the oppressed with truth. And here you mentioned that you had had coffee with a young girl who was talking to you about her girlfriend and use her boyfriend, sorry. And she was, she was wanting to know how to be a better girlfriend. And after listening to her, you said to her, honestly, I think you should dump him. And at the time she thought you were absolutely crazy, but she wrote to you two years later and said, what an impact that was. And so you said that we have to keep telling the truth, even if the abused at the time, they can't mm. see it. So you confront what they're saying when they're telling you, no, he is following me around the house, screaming at me, saying this, and you have to keep saying the truth of, that's not normal. That's not right. Why do we have to keep speaking the truth when they don't seem to be hearing it. You might've told them last week. Why do you have to keep telling them this yeah. week? Um, when I was a brand new pastor, <clears throat> there was a, a local pastor named Randy. And I remember he told me, um, he had just done some study on how the brain works. And he said, Mike, the human brain can't tell the difference between 10 different people telling you the same thing. And one single person telling you something 10 times in a row. So the, the, the brain equates one plus one plus one plus one plus one to 10 times one. And that means that you don't need the whole world to say that you're worthless or no one could ever love you. You just need one person to say it enough times, right? And then yes, it, it, yes, it feels right. so true. Uh, there might be right. a, a hundred people who know you, family members, church members, and maybe it's just that one person who abuses you that said these things, but it feels so, so true after hearing it for so, so long. And so I think right. the answer to your question is to balance out that one constant voice in their ear 
we have to speak the truth, not just once or twice or three times or four times, but we have to get as much like gospel math involved. We need two, three, four, five separate people saying the same thing, texting, emailing, calling, reminding, and then it starts to balance yeah. out where maybe that little, that mindset shift, like, you know what? No, I'm not worthless. Uh, I'm, there's that passage and my, my friend reminded me. And now there's just mm -hmm. a little bit of that self-worth that I think you need to take a step and get safe. And that's such an easy way to help somebody. Mm -hmm. So you might not be the one helping to move them out. You know, maybe you're too scared to do that. And you might not be the one who can, you know, provide finan financially, you know, their first month rent, but such an easy thing to do when you hear something that is off to just tell the truth, say, no, <laughs> Absolutely not. That's not yeah. right. That's that's not yeah. normal. Yeah, you're right. What a beautiful ministry. Um, we sometimes think about, you know, big things for Jesus, like being a missionary in some other continent. Yes. But man, you could save someone body and soul just by being that one gospel voice. It's going to be a long road. It's not going to be a, a hundred yard dash. It's going to be a half marathon to run by their side and just remind them, nope, here's what God says about you. Here's what Jesus did for you. Mm -hmm. um, I know you don't hear this at home, so it's my job to remind you and yeah, embrace yeah. that ministry to help the oppressed. So that leads right into the next thing, because we're not only supposed to keep giving the oppressed truth, but grace. And I think maybe this is the harder part, right. because even in your sermon, you said that might look like moving them out and then moving them back in and then moving them out and moving them back mm -hmm. in. And like you said, it's very complex. There's all these different, why do they move back in? You know, you might have all these things that you can say, what are you mm -hmm. doing? But grace is walking with yep. them. It might be hearing the same conversation six nights in a row oh. as they're in their car because they can't go home mm -hmm. and you're having the same conversation. Yep. But why is that grace so important? Mm. <laughs> From the outside, aren't everyone else's everyone else's problem so easy to fix, <laughs> right? Just, yes. just leave him. Nailed yes, it. Like, why, I know. We don't even need a counselor. I'm just, just stop drinking. Just don't get angry. <laughs> you know, it's, when right. it's not, your, when so it's not right. your struggle, it's, it's a one word answer. But when it is your struggle, the complexity of, of doing the right thing is so hard. Um, I, I need grace with my, frequent flaws and the dumb things I go back to and the old patterns of behavior. Um, so I, I love how the Lord's prayer kind of sets us up for helping people who are being abused. We start with what we need from God, forgive us our sins, and then we can reach out. Um, we're kind of filled mm -hmm. up with the grace that comes from above and it makes us patient and gentle and kind. It reminds us, yep, that was, that's me in a lot of ways. Every sin I run back to is kind of like an abuser, isn't it? And jealousy controls me, and yet I run back to it, comparing myself to other people, worry and fear. Man, that control. That... So I think when you remember, in, in a way, sin. I don't want to be too like metaphorical about this, but sin is kind of like all of our abusers, and yet we know how hard it is to walk away from it. It offers us something really temporary, and for some reason, we get duped into going back. Um, and when I think about my own spiritual story, then I'm like, okay, I, I get, I get why she would go back to him. He's destructive, but one out of every four days, he says something nice. 
and that means a lot to her or he has money and he's putting a roof over her head and she's scared to leave i i I get it um i want to change it but it just softens us a little bit and we stop being the blunt counselor who just says just stop what are you doing and it gives us compassion and understanding and there's been a million times that i've known exactly what i need to do to change and it still takes me years to change i mean true story i wish that wasn't true Mm. but all right so i recently got a text from one of my friends that said Judgment is high in the Christian community. I experienced more compassion from people in my liberal faithless workplace Mm. than many of my Christian friends. I find that people would rather believe what makes them feel good than face any other reality. And I want to just premise this by saying it's not true of all Christians. Mm. I mean, there are some amazing Christians who you come to truthfully, but there are also a lot of Christians that even in these cases will say, you have to restore the marriage at all costs. God hates divorce, they'll say. So if you're walking out of the marriage, they'll say, that's not abuse. Just because he gets angry, just because he follows you around and yells at you, that's not, I mean, that's not, he didn't hit Mm. you. Did he hit you? Did you get bruises? Mm. Um, How do we change the culture? Is there, do it doesn't matter. Do we need to? Yeah. Yeah. Did we use the word complex yet in this podcast? I I think the reason, you know, maybe is it easier from a non-biblical perspective because you're not trying to hold biblical truths in tension. Um, You know, Christians value marriage and we believe what Jesus taught about divorce. We believe in defending the innocent and the oppressed and the abused and we believe in forgiveness and patience and i think when you're trying to hold all these things together it's easy to get pulled in either direction right like i'm done with him and i'm not going to forgive him Ooh, that's a temptation in the church or well you have to forgive him so you can't be done with him you see how these half truths like they just get pulled to one extreme or the other so i I think it's even more complex for those of us who want to follow Jesus and put his teaching into practice because, you know, we started the conversation by saying abuse is so hidden. I think when most people in the church react to it, they don't know what they're reacting to. You know, they get a little snippet and you think, well, I've been married for 31 years. Like, yep, you get in arguments, right? And you don't know because you haven't seen the video footage of like, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about something much, much worse. Um, James chapter one says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And I think if someone has the courage to open up to us about something hard that's happening at home, we should be very slow to speak and really quick to try to seek. Can I understand? Can I get a better glimpse of what's happening here? Because maybe it is an abuse and maybe the answer is to forgive and let some things go. Or maybe I realize, wow, this is a pattern of a guy who's using fear and force to maintain power and control. And now I have a very different answer to that question. So, man, in Amber, I've been on both sides of it. There's times when I'm telling people, this is bad. You got to go. And there's other times when I'm trying to listen and I want to say, I, I don't think, I don't think what you're talking about is abuse. I'm actually looking for it. I'm listening to it with open ears and I just. So, man, 
God help us. Um, <laughs> and he will. That, that's maybe my hope before I get overwhelmed by this of we get into the ditch with people, into the messy stuff, and God doesn't keep his hands clean and stay at a distance. He dives in right with us with his spirit and he gives us the words and he helps us and we learn and we grow and we make mistakes and we know better. Um, but making slow progress and being imperfect is a billion times better than just staying far away because it's messy. Couldn't agree more. Jesus didn't. Yeah. He got down in our mess. Yeah, yeah so true. Yeah. What haven't we covered? Amber, you've asked a lot of questions my way. You've dealt with this as much as I have. So what what's valuable for people who are listening, whether they've been abused or they just want to be an ally, a good, good Christian? Uh, what do you want to add? I think what I have found is so many times what I have found in the Christian community is people might know something's happening. You can see kind of in the tone the way he talks or something every now and then you get it and you think, man, if he's saying that stuff in front of us, what's he saying at home? Or, you know, sometimes you, I think there's such a fear of getting involved. I think most of us just want to go home and pray that things go better and don't want to be involved or we see things we know we should say something. Mm. And to that, I just think, in my own experience, the times when I have been being persecuted and not abuse like what we've been talking about, but the times that I've been being persecuted and someone has come alongside of me to befriend me or take a little of the pain, it is just so valuable. So I say what you just said, jump in the trench one way or the other, whether it's sending a text or a phone call saying, you know, I saw something and it just, it's not setting well with me. Can we have coffee? Yeah. And maybe that's all the further we'll go. Maybe you said something and you pray and, but maybe a year later you'll get that phone mm -hmm. call and it will be a person saying, you know what? I need yeah. help. And just don't be afraid to get dirty, yeah. get in the trenches and it is muddy and it's yucky. But I think when you have one other person going through it with you, it's like, you just, you're not yeah. alone. Yeah. Well, amen to that. Uh, it's not a Christian resource, but uh, I was on Netflix yesterday. Sometimes I watch shows at night, Amber. Why did I get defensive about that? I don't know. <laughs> and there's a, um, a local women's shelter in my community in their newsletter a while back was talking about the Netflix show, The Maid. And mm -hmm. I watched it and it really, really opened my eyes to the nuance and subtlety and just wisdom that you need to help people in that situation, the complexity of leaving. So if you're a Netflix person and you're listening, find the maid. Um, I don't think it has a lot of kind of graphic, graphic content to be aware of, but it's just a really sobering reminder of what this looks like for a lot of people. That's not on the you know horrific scale. I'm, I'm locked in a basement somewhere, but just I'm in this really toxic situation and it's really hard to step away even though I want to. So yeah, grab your Bible first, but maybe check that out second. And uh, let's do more to help people um, help souls awesome. with the topic of abuse. Wow. Good deal. Thanks for talking yeah, about it again. Too. And thanks to Time of Grace. Yeah. yeah, amen. Normally you and I are making dumb jokes for 40 to 60 <laughs> minutes. So this felt different, but it's important. So thanks for doing it. 
Yeah. 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 Hey, um, as you know, if you're listening or maybe you don't know, uh, every month at Time of Grace, we try to produce a really helpful resource for you and your faith. And I'm really excited about this month's. Uh, It comes from Dr. Jennifer Lundgren, and it's called A Guide to Mental and Emotional Wellness. So, Mm. man, I love it when really faithful Christian people have an expertise in like another area of how the brain or the body works. And that's what Dr. Lundgren is bringing. So she's brought this book to us. Uh, We're excited to share it with people from our ministry. So if you're interested in a copy, just go to timeofgrace.org. You can find Dr. Lundgren's book as she takes biblical steps for mental and emotional wellness. So thanks everyone for listening. I hope you're doing well. Hope you're safe. Hope you're blessed. And we'll talk to you next time on Behind the Series.